You're listening to the Hillspring Church audio podcast. Hillspring exists so that all people can find and embrace a life of faith through Christ. For more information or to get involved, visit us on the web at hillspringchurch.org. So we're in a series this fall, we're still in fall, but we're in a second series this fall called Practical Steps of Faith. And what we're doing is we're, we're talking about the importance of not just claiming to believe in God, or not even just coming to church on a weekly basis, or even reading your Bible, but actually putting into practice the belief that we claim to possess, and allowing God's character to shape you know, who we are and what we do each day of our lives, because that's the point. In the first week, we looked at the story in, a, in the Bible of the paralytic that Jesus not only forgave, but then demonstrated his authority to forgive sin by healing the man. And, but before the man was healed, what happened? Jesus said, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And we said, how silly that would be if Jesus told the man to get up and pick up his mat and go. I mean, he already had a reputation of healing. So it would have been really silly when Jesus said, I tell you to do this. And if the man just continued to sit there and say, you know what? I just want to sing songs to you instead and be healed, right? Or I'm not going to do what you say. I am just going to keep professing my belief in you right? It would be silly. And in the same way, it's silly to say that we believe in Jesus and then not do what he tells us to do. Yet it happens all the time, right? When it comes to faith, we may come to church and we may learn week after week about what Jesus is telling us to do with our lives. But without putting it into practice, it's nothing but dead faith. It's useless. It's a useless practice to come and not put it into practice. Instead, we need to put Jesus' words into practice because that's how our lives are restored. You know, God has shown us the truth through Jesus. Jesus teaches us the truth about how life is meant to be lived, but it's only as we take those things and act them out in our lives that we're restored into God's image, okay? In a week two, we wrestled with what to do about the teachings of Jesus found in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, a lot of these teachings are, 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 are challenging, if not extreme. And we looked at the passage which said, you know, you know not to murder, but don't even hate or call someone stupid. And we wrestled with this, these concepts and, and asked ourselves, you know, are these unrealistic standards not meant to actually be pursued, but rather meant to lead us to depend on God's grace? Because the, the standard is so high. Should we just, you know, are they only meant to just depend on God's grace, or are they actually things to put into practice? And we said, no, Jesus ended his teaching by saying that the wise person is the one who hears the things that he says and puts them into practice. And on the other hand, then we have to ask, well, then are they commands which determine our fate? Will we burn in hell if we don't do what Jesus says? And we also said, no, no, God doesn't count our sins against us. That's the gospel. And instead of giving us what we deserve, he gave himself up on the cross, forgiving us all our shortcomings. And so we do fall short. We don't ever just do everything that God intended for us to do with our lives. And so what we concluded was that Jesus' teachings are indeed practical teachings that save us, though, from ruining our lives. Whether the actions, while the actions of our lives, they don't determine our standing with God, they do affect the quality of our lives. And then last week, Brad, thank you so much to Brad. He's off this week. 
Not thank you for being off, Brad, if you're out there. But thank you for filling in. Not, I keep saying filling in. Thank you for doing your job <laughs> last week and just contributing to our church community. I love having him on the team, and it's so great to have another unique voice and a unique perspective for us to learn from. But last week, Brad took a look with us at Jesus teaching not to worry. Hakuna Matata, right? No worries. And well, it may be easy to shrug off these teachings or conclude that anxiety is just a part of who we are. In reality, the reality is that if we are people who have a natural tendency to worry, if, if anxiety is something that we struggle with, we actually have all the more reason to put into practice what Jesus taught, which isn't just simply saying, you know, don't worry. And it's like, okay, I need to remember, I'm just not going to worry, right? But rather, you know, actively and regularly Reminding ourselves who God is in the midst of our worry. And reminding ourselves that God is faithful, that he's in control. Reminding ourselves of all of the challenges and circumstances that he's brought us through in the past. It's about bringing our mind back to a place that depends on God, which helps us to not worry, right? So that God can lead us to a place of peace. You know, our faith in Christ is meant to have a practical impact on our lives if we're willing to do it. And put it into practice. Our faith is meant to be worked out practically in our lives. And that's how we find life to the full. And so my hope is that each of us throughout the series would understand more and more that these aren't things that God is calling us to do in order to make our relationship right with him. Now, God has made us right with him because of his love and his mercy. He loves us because he is, a God, he is love itself. But also as a loving father, he's called us to follow him, to, to trust him, to lead our lives. And if we will put into practice the things that he's shown us through his son, we'll actually have peace and joy more and more in our lives as he makes us whole. And that's the point of coming together is to grow and grow more in his image, in our relationship with him, in who we are, who we were created to be in our relationships with one another. So that being said, let's take a look at another one of the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, found in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33. And while you're turning there, why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to read it together. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that you love us. We are so grateful that we are here together because you've brought us together in your Son. God, it's... it's you know, as we gather together, we're saying that we want to know you, that we want to learn from you. So my prayer is, though, that for everyone standing here, and myself included, that we wouldn't just be people who claim to believe in you or who gather together week after week unaffected by who you are. But God, would you change us by your spirit, we pray. We want to be people who follow your voice, and live out the lives that you've called us to through your son. Make us like you, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Well, you were, well, yeah. I'm just going to get you to stand while I read, but that's okay. Sit. I will read it to you today. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33. Jesus said, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus is is talking about oaths or vows. What is an oath? Well, an oath is is defined as a ritualistic declaration that's typically based on an appeal to God or to some revered person or object that one will speak the truth, keep a promise, or remain faithful, etc., right? You know, people today do this all the time, don't they? Do you ever say, I swear on my life? (laughs) Honesty, that's great. I swear on my life, or I swear to God, or as God is my witness. Maybe you say, I hope not. Well, this isn't worse than swearing to God, but I swear on my mother's grave, right? (laughs) Or this one might take you back to your childhood. Cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye, right? Or I swear by the, I, I should sing this, I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky, I'll be there, right? And when, when I'm sorry. When people make an oath, they're, they're appealing to be held accountable often to something outside of themselves if they don't keep their word. And the reason why people do this is to increase their credibility, Right? You may be saying that something, something that is otherwise may seem unbelievable, right? I swear a UFO flew over my house this morning on the way to church. And you're like, well, I don't care how much you swear. I don't believe that, right? Or maybe you do. You know, you say, I swear it happened. Or you may be trying to gain trust when you have a history of not following through on something. And because you've said you would do something over and over again, like clean your room, kids, Right? or cut the lawn, or take the dog out, or whatever it may be. You say, I swear I'm going to do it now after I finish this game, right? I swear I'll do my homework or clean up my room. I swear, I swear, I swear, right? And Jesus begins by saying, you know that it was said long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you've made, And so when he says, you know, you've heard long before, he's talking about the Hebrew law. They were all, in religious culture, familiar with laws such as this one in in Numbers 32. I don't have it on the screen, but I'll read it for you. You know, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Deuteronomy 23, 23. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. So these are laws. And there's many examples in the Old Testament of laws that people in the religious culture of Jesus' time knew that they were supposed to follow. They knew that they were supposed to follow through on what they said they would do or what they vowed to do or what they swore they would do. Which seems like a good command. You know, do what you vow you're going to do. And I think all of us would agree that it's good to follow through on the things that you vow to do, right? But then Jesus says, you know this command, but I tell you, familiar words, you notice there's a number of times where Jesus says, he said this to the paralytic, but I tell you, and he says it here, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven for it's God's throne or by the earth for it's his footstool, by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head for you cannot make even one hair white or black. This is all God's fault right here. 
Why would he say this? You know, the very fact that there are commands about keeping oaths, it assumes that people will kind of not follow the word, doesn't it? There are a number of examples, though, in the Bible, though, and there are, it assumes that people will make oaths, right? I mean, it, there's a command, you know, make sure you follow through on your oath. And so that's not really condemning making oaths in the first place. It's saying if you make an oath, follow through what you say. And so there are lots of examples that just assume that people are going to make oaths. There are a number of examples in the Bible where people make oaths. There are times in the Bible where God himself makes oaths to his people. Whenever you see Jesus say, you know this, but I tell you this, we can be sure that there's something going on. We can be sure that most often people are abusing what was said, or they're twisting, or they're manipulating what has been taught to serve their own purposes. People who held knowledge about something and yet didn't apply it with applied in healthy ways. And this is what was happening at the time. See, in Jesus' day, not only did people fail to uphold their oaths, but they were abusing the, the, the system of making oaths and vows in the first place. Much like today, oaths started to be made for even the smallest matters. And so you would say, you know, I swear on my life, I'll return your donkey in good condition, compared to, I swear on my life, I didn't kill that man, right? Very different situations, right? Uh, compared to, and then the common use of oaths only weakened their effectiveness because if you started to swear you would do everything, little things or big things, it just was like, you know, people are just swearing they'll do everything all the time. And I'm not sure what to believe or what not to believe. Even worse, people would make oaths to convince people of things that they had no intention on following through on, right? It was using an oath inappropriately just to gain credibility so that you could abuse your relationship with other people. And then additionally, people would be evasive in the way they made oaths. Instead of swearing to God, because in a religious culture, it's like, well, if you really swear to God, you really should uphold that one. But they would swear by things that were related to God, but had no actual way of holding them accountable. Like, I swear by the temple, right? Or I swear by the holy city of Jerusalem. There were even arguments amongst the Pharisees, which Jesus addressed later in the book of Matthew, where people would fight over things you could swear by that were legitimate, which ones were legitimate and which ones were not. It sounded like there were arguments, but well, I swore by that, but that doesn't really matter. Or you can't swear by that because that, that doesn't even have any significance, right? And people would argue about which things would indicate a serious vow and which things wouldn't. And so you could see how this whole system just became corrupted, right? They had turned it into a way of manipulating others and protecting one's self-interest. And this is the problem with faith when it's no longer lived out as an accurate representation of God's good character. And so Jesus said, you know, you, you have, you know, you, you've made vows that you should, you've heard that you have vows that you should fulfill, but I tell you, don't swear at all. Not by heaven, not by earth, not by Jerusalem. These aren't even things that you have any right to hold up for collateral, Right? These don't belong to you. These belong to God. Or even your own life, you know, which is what they mean by swearing by your head. You don't have even control of your own life. Instead, he says in verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Now, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything else is deceptive. And so what he's saying, what is he saying? He, he's saying just be a person of your word without the need to swear 
at all. Just be people of good character that uphold your word. If you say you're going to do something, then just follow through on it. Let's just get rid of all of this swearing and vowing things all together. There shouldn't be levels of credibility in your life. There shouldn't be things that if you don't swear, then you don't have to follow through on. And then things if you swear by God on, then you have to follow through on those things. He's like, you're missing the whole point. There's no levels. There's no system that we're trying to like work to our own advantage here. That was never the point. The point is that we should just simply be people who do what we say we're going to do. We should be people of good character. See, Jesus is calling us to live out not this, this, this rule of the universe that is just out there on its own. He's actually calling us to live out the character of God himself. And God is true to his word. You know, what God says he will do, and this is what Jesus is calling us to. In Numbers twenty three nineteen, the writer says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? Well, these are rhetorical questions, aren't they? The answer is no, he doesn't do those things. He doesn't make promises that he doesn't keep. He doesn't say that he's going to do something and then not do it. He said that he would provide salvation for the world, and he did. He sent his son, and Jesus said that he would give up his life for the forgiveness of our sins, and was it easy for him? No, we know that he wrestled in the garden with that, but did he follow through on it? He did. Jesus said that he would rise from the dead, and he did. He said that he would send his spirit to be our comfortable to, comforter, to dwell in our lives, and he did. And because of these things, when Jesus said that he'll come again and restore our world one day, we know that he will. And this gives us so much peace and comfort knowing that God is true to his word because we know what he's done in the past and how he's followed his word before. And we know that he will protect us and he will save us and he will restore our world in the future. And because God is true to his word, we don't need to be doubtful about our salvation or about any of his promises. We don't need to wonder if God has forgiven our sins or if there's still something in our lives that, that, that God doesn't forgive us for. We can live with assurance that God has forgiven our sins because he said so, and he showed us through his son. And we were created to be like God in character, following through on the things that we say and the commitments that we make. There shouldn't be levels of integrity or character, like I said. And all swearing really does is it reveals that you are someone who can't be counted on. Right? If you have to swear, it just means that, you know what? This person is really trying to convince me, which might mean it's very likely that they're not telling the truth or that they're not going to follow through on what they say. Instead, when we say we'll do something, we should follow through, even in the smallest matters. A couple of months ago, uh, we had a partnership class. We have them this year. We've had about four of them. We'll have some more in the new year. And we provide a, a little breakfast at uh, where we buy some continental breakfast items, some orange juice and croissants and these types of things. And often at the end of these events, there are things left over. 
And so this particular time, there was a jug of orange juice left over. And I don't like to keep those things because I don't think it looks good when you buy a bunch of stuff. It's like, oh, I bought a whole bunch. I'll just take that for my family now that the event's over, right? And so I tend to give those things away so that I, you know, it doesn't ever look like I'm trying to scoop things from the church, right? I mean, I hope you don't ever think I would do that, but I think appearances matter. So anyway, so I hand these things out and there was a jug of orange juice left there. And, and I said to Brad, you know what, that's not even open yet. Why don't I take that home and I'll bring it to church on Sunday morning? And so he's like, yeah, sounds great. We'll just use it up at church on Sunday. So I took it home and I didn't tell my boys what it was there for and they drank it. <laughs> and so it didn't show up at church on Sunday morning. It's not their fault. I didn't tell them, right? And, and, and so I didn't, I, I didn't have it at church on Sunday morning. So later that week, I had to say to Brad, I said, Brad, I want you to know you know, what happened with the orange juice because I said that I was going to bring it to church and it wasn't there. And he's like, well, that's between you and God. And I just said, well, <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, I, I think what we say matters. And he's like, well, I agree. I agree. And so I bought some juice and it was here the following Sunday. You know, but it's important that what we say we do. And this may seem like a small, trivial matter, but everything matters. If we say we're going to do something, we need to follow through on it in a couple of ways. I mean, first of all, by not lying, you know, not by saying something that is intentionally being deceptive, but being honest in what we say. But in a really applicable way, it's not looking out for your own interest, but valuing the commitments that you've made or the things that you say that you'll do. And whether that's following through on what you say to your kids, right? So we're, we try to be really careful about this because how many of you, life is crazy and you're like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then you're like, wow, I don't know how we're going to do that today. There's too many things going on. And so we've even changed our language to make sure we're not committing to things. Now, don't just not commit to anything in life, guys. That's not the perfect solution. However, you know, we should be careful not to throw promises out there. And so we'll say, hey, if we have time at the end of the day, we will, we will try to do this right? Because we don't want to let our kids down over and over and over again saying, yeah, we're going to do it. Oh, sorry, guys, we're not going to do it, right? And over time, what happens? You lose credibility even with your own family. So following through on what you say with your kids, following through on the things that you say you'll do at work, you know, if you say you're going to make a contribution to a team, if you say you're going to be at an event or you're going to be at something that's going on, make sure you're there, you know, follow through on what you say you'll do. Following through on the commitments you make as a volunteer, right? Even in the church or outside of the church. And so when you, when you sign up for a team and you say, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm willing to be there for, you know, this many times, then be there, you know? Uh, and, and I'll take it a step further. So, and I'm just speaking, if, if I were making a commitment, this is how it works. I put it in my calendar. And then if I want to do something with my family, I say, hey, that is... I've already committed myself to this, right? And we say we can't do it on that day because we're committed to something, you know? So if it's volunteering or serving somewhere, you know, I've served outside of the church with CAS on their board, those types of things. And if I put up my calendar, sometimes things come up and you're like, oh, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm not saying you can never rearrange plans or ever, but sometimes it happens a lot, right? It's like, well, we always take what is more advantageous to ourselves, and being true to our word is also saying, you know what? I'm committed to this. I will make the sacrifice to follow through on what I say I will do. And I will organize my family and my life around those commitments, right? That's important when you're serving, whether that's in church, whether you're working on a team at work, 
you know, following through on the things that we'll say we will do. And when we do what we say we will do, it not only shows that we're trustworthy, it creates a culture where people feel valued and loved, right? Right, if you're, if you're up there, let's, sorry guys, I'm not, this is, whole sermon is not about volunteering, but if you're up there, right, and you're a part of a team, and one of the parts of the team continually like jump bails out at the last minute, where you're setting up chairs, right? And, and a, a crucial person just doesn't really feel like getting up that morning, right? Does it make the rest of the team feel valued, right? When they have to strain to try and get things done to the last minute? It doesn't, right? When we follow through on a word, it shows that you love the people that you serve with and you care about them and you don't want to leave them with an unnecessary burden, right? And so when we follow through on our commitments, and that's not just in the church again, when you're on a team at work, it shows that you care about it. And you're like, well, I don't care about them. Well, <laughs> then that's a whole other issue we'll talk about at another time. But everyone in your life is a valuable creation of God. And we should treat them with love and respect. And so valuing those people enough to, to follow through on the commitments to them. Because you're putting each other ahead of your own interests. And that is what it means to love people. And that's what God did for us. You know, God, the creator of the universe, loved us enough that he didn't just say, you know what, when it comes down to it, I just don't feel like extending mercy to you guys. He said, you know what? No, I, I love you enough that even though when I say I'm going to provide salvation for you, I'm going to send my son and my son is going to follow through what he's there to do and he's going to give himself up on the cross. That's who God is. And that's who God is calling us to be in every area of our life that when we say we're going to do something, we follow through to show that the people around us matter, and that they're valuable people and it reflects the character of God who's always true to his word with us. Would you stand with me? God, I pray that, that this would be not only a reminder of your goodness, that you are true to your word. God, we praise you for that. We sing songs to you because of that, because you are a God who does what you say you will do. You are faithful. God, I pray that this would be a reminder of that, but also, God, that we would take what we're hearing today into our lives this week and that maybe we'd be a little bit more mindful of what we promise, more careful about what we commit to and more committed to following through what we have said we will do. God, I pray that each one standing in this room would be an accurate representation of your love in the way that they have integrity in their lives, in their family life, in their work, in the church. May we be a, com a community of integrity, people who hold true to our word, we pray. Amen. <laughs>